You know, I was so young about do what we do, do what we do. I remember being upset with these guys at halftime. And if I had a do-over, I would not have been nearly as upset with them at halftime as I was then, simply because we were outmatched. And what the message needed to be at halftime is be the best that we can be and enjoy being here. We've accomplished a lot. This is the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing. Now, here's your hosts, Paul Fritchner and Adam Baum, with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller. Welcome into episode four of the Sean Miller Podcast. Paul Fritchner, Adam Baum, and Sean Miller. And Sean, we've gotten rave reviews over the first few weeks of this podcast, people enjoying it. Last week, I had Desmond Claude on, a chance to talk with him about some film, his career, how he came to Xavier. Uh, but a great conversation that I think really illuminates the type of player that one speaks to this program and Xavier, but two, the type of player that you're trying to recruit here as well. For sure. The one thing about Dez is who he is as a basketball player. That has spoken for itself. I think when you watch him this year, his game is at another level, both offensively, defensively, his maturity, his growth, his experience. In some ways, it really jumps off the page for me, the improvement that he's made. But it all always comes back to who he is as a person and really truly who he is off the court. I mean, he's the same every day. It, it's such a skill, it's such a, a blessing to have one of your best players have an attitude that is you know, unselfish, energetic, uh, very selfless. And I, I think that attitude and who he is on our team this year is, is one of the many things that excites me. You want your best players to embody those types of qualities away from the court. And when I say away from the court, I mean locker room, when we're traveling, when times are tough, when times aren't. And uh, Des is a wonderful person. As we get started here on episode four, obviously we want to thank our presenting sponsor, Deer Park Roofing, who's been great with getting this show off the ground. We want to thank everybody that has subscribed to the show, that has shared the show. Make sure that if you haven't subscribed already on YouTube, you go ahead and do that. The numbers have been climbing. Thousands of you have watched the show, have listened to the show, downloaded it, shared it around, left ratings and reviews. Um, Adam, it's been a fun few weeks so far, and uh, things have gotten off the ground from your perspective here now, as we get into this episode, where Sean, we, we really want to talk to you about your coaching career, your history, how you got into this, uh, taking us back all the way. We touched on it a little bit in episode one, but really get in, into some of the philosophies and some of your leadership styles and things like that. Adam, you had some topics for us today that I, I think are pretty interesting. And coach, uh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, watching that episode with Des, I found myself wondering, or at least thinking about the fact that it, it seemed like this is a guy who's done this for a while. You know, to talk to one of your players like that and, and have that interaction and that, that back and forth. And, and what I found myself thinking about is, you know, you're two decades into this. Do you remember, can you describe Sean Miller that on that day in 2004 when you get promoted to this job that you have right now and you're a first-time college basketball head coach are you scared to death are you excited is there a combination like how, what was your mindset in that moment i think it was a combination adam of uh it being very very excited but also very grateful 
to get your first opportunity at a place like Xavier University with the history and tradition on the court, the academic excellence and what this place stands for. It's the it's a gift of a lifetime and you know it's up to us when you get those types of opportunities to take advantage of it. And really what I wanted to do, and we have this saying with our big guys, like we throw you the ball, deliver. And I remember feeling the pressure of, okay, now I, I'm the new head coach here at Xavier. God, I got to deliver. <laughs> I can't screw this up because it's, it's too great of an opportunity and too many people are depending on me. And, and this university has believed in me without a lot of evidence. They watched who I was as an assistant coach and were around me, but never had seen me coach a game as a head coach. So that belief without evidence is something that I think about often, even today, how lucky and fortunate I was to get that opportunity. What do you remember about that first season? How, did, how would you say that it went? So the first season then was very difficult for me because we lost some terrific players from a year before, and we lost a great coach, Thad Mata. He went to Ohio State, and he took uh, the other assistant coaches with him. So I was taking over for him, but the team that we had previously to a large extent, those guys had moved on. And I'll, I'll name you know three of them, Anthony Miles, who a Xavier fan would know and was a very good player in his senior year, but two really iconic Xavier players, Romaine Sato, who remains one of the great players to ever play in a EuroLeague game. Um, I mean, multi-year world champion or EuroLeague champion, I should say. Uh, I know it with Valencia, and I believe Romaine won a couple others as well. But he's a legend over there. When I took a team over to Spain in the summer, I guess about eight years ago, there, there was a, a player like a mural on a wall in Valencia, and it was Romaine. And that's how, how heralded he, he became over there and could have played in the NBA for sure. And then Lionel Chalmers, who did play in the NBA and now is an assistant coach in the NBA. But Lionel Chalmers, Romain Sato, Anthony Miles, those three seniors, they all left. Thad Mata left, the staff left, and here I am, okay, let's go. <laughs> and uh, no matter how ready you think you are, you, you're not ready. It's impossible to be ready. What gives you the best experience is doing the job. And when you've never ever done it before and you've only watched or sat alongside somebody who did it, there is some trial and error. But the, the one lesson that I learned in my first year as a head coach, and I would pass this on to anybody, I tell my own three sons this, you have to be yourself. You can't try to copy and be somebody who you're not or follow the lead of somebody that has a different personality. The authentic person who you truly are stands out players teams and, and all that you do is as a college basketball coach people can see right through you trying to do or be somebody that you're not I learned that in my first year because coach Mata and I were very different in our personality and I loved the way he coached I, I really loved him as a person I thought he did an amazing job so me, why, why change something that doesn't need changed? So I tried to follow his footprint, which is fine, but I also tried to follow who he was and how he did things. Uh, I am my own person. So although we, I think we finished 17 and 12 and we did okay, uh, I never felt truly good about that year. And then 
maybe to my great credit, as soon as that year ended, uh, I, I really said, I'm going to do things how I believe some things that I learned with Coach Mata, some things I learned from my dad, some things I truly believe in in myself, but like I'm going to be my authentic self. Now, I believe like that more than anything can win out. I learned that as my first year uh, came to a, a, a finality. What were some of those things like that you remember on that maybe if you're talking to your staff or somebody that gets hired off of your staff to go be a new head coach, they ask for words of wisdom. What, what would some of those things be? Well, when you're an assistant coach, you think you're coaching a player, teaching a player, and you can be hard on them, like you can hold them accountable. But you can also be their buddy. As a head coach, not that you can't have a great relationship with a player in the team that you're coaching, but you're in charge. You're the, the leader. Uh, you have to hold everybody accountable, including your staff, including you know the player that doesn't play very much and your best player. And there's a lot that goes into that. So, A, I, I truly became who, who I am, and I think that is to hold people accountable on an every single day basis, be comfortable doing it. That takes some development as well. But I'll give you one story. I had a strength coach when I was a player at Pitt. His name is Ray Oliver. His nickname is Rock. He was a great strength coach. He made me laugh. He pushed me to limits as a young person and player that I didn't think I had in me. He made me tougher. He told me he cared about me. He's one of my favorite people that have impacted me along the, along the route. When I became the head coach here at Xavier, he was the Cincinnati Bengal strength coach. So he was in town. And every so often, him knowing that I was in my first year as a coach, he would check in on me come to practice, stop in and say hello, come to a game, call me, text me. And, and I hope he listens to this, this podcast because to this day, some 19 years later, I remember it was like yesterday how much that meant to me for him to tell me, you're okay, you're going to be all right, great win, tough loss, bounce back. But one day he came to visit me and he said, look, I've been watching you, I know you, I know where you're at, and I, I just have my ear to the ground. And yesterday, one of the news people that covers you said to me, do you think Sean Miller's too nice of a guy to be successful? And when he said it, I said, well, you, you must be joking, right? And the guy said, no, 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 like, he seems to be like a really good guy, but you think he has it in him to be a head coach? Like, it's different. And Ray Oliver said what he said to him. But he came and he looked at me and said, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> be who you are. Like, if you're a player, what you needed to do to survive in between the lines or on a daily basis wasn't to be Mr. Nice Guy. Be who you are. You're competing. It's no different as a leader, a head coach. Like, come on, man. Don't try to be somebody you're not. And I'll never forget that, like, when he said it because that really resonated with me. I was already thinking about it. So I know I've already covered that in terms of my earlier answer, but now it becomes take total control. This is what we do. This is why we do it. This is how we hold people accountable. This is how I hold you accountable and be comfortable doing it. And uh, that conversation with him really led me to do a lot of good things moving forward. And hearing you talk about that, all I can think about is something 
that in the last year that you've been back when I covered the team, I've heard you say more times than I can remember, and that's do what we do. And I'm curious, as a young coach who's trying to figure out what, what your style is, what defense you want to play, the types of players that you want to recruit, how do you figure out what it is exactly that you want to do, that you are? So back then, Tony Dungy was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts. I'm a big NFL fan. Uh, I think the NFL coaches have more pressure on them than any of us. And it's just amazing the parity in that league, what separates a Super Bowl champion from somebody who doesn't make the playoffs is about five plays sometimes. You know, it's crazy to think about. But I read, I read Tony Dungy's book. Uh, if you named the book, I would say that's it. But it's, um, it's really, I, I think he at this point has wrote more than one. But it was the book that uh, really talked about him becoming a Super Bowl champion with the Indianapolis Colts. And throughout the book, he talked a lot about do what we do. And in his context and way of saying it is, as an elite athlete, elite team, an NFL player and coach, you're only in control of so many things. If an injury happens, there's nothing you can do about it. But what, in fact, you are in control of is your everyday process. You know, the implementation of your system, holding people accountable. Uh, being positive versus negative, all the different things that, that entail a season, a coach, building a program. And he would say it all the time, do what we do. The other part of it that he talked about is you can only be good at so many things in sports. You know, if you think about Syracuse and Jim Beheim and being the great Hall of Fame coach that he is, he never apologized for playing a 2-3 zone. It's what he did. People would say to him all the time, hey, it doesn't seem like it's working. Why don't you switch to man-to-man? And he would almost be offended by that, and that's because he believes so strongly in his rationale and reasoning behind why he plays a 2-3 zone. He recruited to the 2-3 zone. He knew how to build it. He knew what it meant in March Madness. So he may not be a good man-to-man coach, but he was a great zone coach. Like, he knew exactly what he did. You know, Bob Knight, who recently passed away, you know, if you think about his set plays, he would draw actions up in a timeout that were amazing actions. But he was a motion coach. Like, he redefined how offenses thought about the game. And he believed in screening and cutting and movement. But if you'd ask him to play a 2-3 zone, he'd probably laugh at you, right? I think the greatest coaches that you study and learn, they knew who they are. And they're about, this is who we are. This is why we do it. We do what we do. We're going to be great at it. So instead of looking for the next thing or the trick play or deviating from what you do, why don't you do what you do better? And what is it that I can do to teach better, to practice better, to get that player to do that one thing that's going to help our offense better? So I'm not going to get spread out and and diverted. I'm going to be good at a few things, and these are my core principles. So for me at Xavier, especially the first time, I went and burned all the boats and said, we're going to be the best man-to-man defensive team that I could possibly create. We're going to recruit to it. We're going to teach it. I'm going to study it. My staff's going to know it. We're going to believe in it, and we're never going to deviate. You're not going to ever see us play a possession of zone. That was a big change from who I was in my first year as a coach, and that led me to being you know, a coach for a long time like that. That's an example. The Sean Miller Podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Deer Park Roofing. Protect what's important 
With Deer Park Roofing's industry-leading training, expert attention to detail, and responsive service. From commercial and residential replacements to roof repairs, gutters, and more, request a free estimate today at DeerParkRoofing.com. That's DeerParkRoofing.com. I think when people think about a Xavier program defensively, they, a lot of times they think about that pack line defense, right? And that's something that this program has been known to play for such mm-hmm. a long time and, and that it's been carried around. It, have, how have you seen that kind of develop over the last couple of decades in college basketball? I'm not as good coaching the pack line as I once did in large part because I think the offense and the way the game is played today is very, very different than where it would have been played five years ago. 10 years ago, 15 and 20 years ago. First of all, the shot clock's at 30. For a long time, it was at 40 and then 35, right? It's at 30, it's probably gonna go to 24. First time I was here, ball screen defense, you might guard one or two ball screens on a particular play. So defensively, in that possession, you had to defend two ball screens. In a possession today, you might have to guard five or six or dribble handoffs. It's just a completely different way the game's played. So because of that, the philosophy defensively, some of it is the same. But what I hope is that we can adapt and evolve to be the best version of of our defense in today's game. Because guarding today's Big East is going to be different than guarding a decade ago's Big East. And I believe, like, that's not me talking. All coaches would say a version of that. And it's up to us that as it evolves, you have to evolve too. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that, that we wanted to, to bring up with you is just that, is that, you know, how your evolution as a coach, and maybe it's your style, maybe it's your mentality, maybe it's the way that, that you think about this game, but how, how, what are the, the stark differences between a 2004 Sean Miller Xavier team and a 2023 Xavier Sean Miller team? Well, like just like what you guys do for a living, uh, what, what's the best way of learning through experience? And when you're younger, you don't want to hear that because you have none. <laughs> and it seems like those that are giving you that experience, that, that lesson are older. And you just sometimes as that young person, you roll your eyes and say, okay, yeah, I hear that all the time. But it's so true. With every game you coach, with every season you coach, just as, as more, more wear on your tires comes your way, you become brighter and smarter. And I think it's up to us to continue to be curious, to listen, to learn. One thing that helps me, not saying I'm a good coach, bad coach, but I know this helps me, is I really love the game. I'm curious to learn about the game. If I have an opportunity to watch a great coach, to listen to a great coach, to listen to a podcast or study it, to watch different people do different things, it's actually very enjoyable for me to do. I don't have to force myself to do that. So with that, I'm probably around the game in a different way, uh, which I think helps because you see new ideas and fresh ideas. Sometimes you see a different way of doing things and it strengthens your own resolve and belief that the way you're doing it is better. But it takes you exploring somebody else to really validate in your own mind Yep, I'm on the right track. I know it now. So I, I think that as you grow older, um, getting knowledge, continuing to learn and grow, I, I'm sure I got that from my dad. You know, he's 81 years old, and I've never met somebody that loves the game more, that studies the game, that loves to listen and watch and learn. And, uh, you know, if he's doing that, 
where he's at in life. Somebody like myself, that's something you should be doing almost every day in some way. I'll have to tell him next time I see him, <laughs> no way he looks 81. I saw him at a practice yeah. recently. He was stretching on the baseline during practice. He's up moving around. He, he looks awesome. His energy is amazing, uh, really. And I take that on to just how he's lived his life. Um, he's, he's the person that used to work out when it wasn't cool to work out, <laughs> you know? And, um, I think that's that phys ed teacher, high school coach, just unbelievably active. And it's, uh, yeah, we're all, you know, excited to, to see really how healthy that he has been and just how he moves. I mean, it's just, uh, he was with me for two or three days recently and I called my brother and I said, God, I. I have to admit this, like, I, I'm not sure I could keep up with him. <laughs> you know? and, and to think about where he's at, it's, it's just incredible, really. He's going to have to listen to this episode. He'll yeah. get a kick out of that. Uh, I want to go back before you got the job at Xavier. You, you were at Miami, and you'd been around the southwest Ohio area. But what did you know about Xavier before you came here? So when I was at Miami, I was there with Herb Sendek for uh, two seasons. We had a really great group of players uh, that were at, at Miami at the time. In one of those two years, we won the Mid-American Conference regular season championship, went to the NCAA tournament, beat Arizona, ironically, lost in overtime to Virginia, who would have been the ACC champion, and that game was to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, Wally Serbiak, our staff, we recruited Wally to to Miami. And no, to answer your question, I had no idea that he was going to be <laughs> an NBA player. We knew he was a terrific shooter and a very good player, but to watch what he became is incredible. So we all are, are anxious to share that we recruited him, right, because, <laughs> because it worked out. But when I thought of Xavier, I thought of Pete Gillen, Skip Prosser, Bob Stack, but especially Coach Gillen and Coach Prosser, the toughness of those teams, the way they defended, how hard they played. Cincinnati Garden uh, Gardens, like the, playing in the Cincinnati Gardens, you know, you had the, that smell of beer. You know, you had you had yeah. a, a blue collar fan. You had a toughness. You knew basketball was super important, and I always admired the players, the teams, and those two coaches in particular at Xavier. Yeah, you're a big Byron Larkin fan, right? I was. You know, <laughs> Byron and I had a, a unique and awkward collision in that my freshman year, I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, playing as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. My team could have gotten to the, NC, to the Final Four. We won the Big East regular season championship to show you how good we were. Uh, again, back to a 2C, Charles Smith, Jerome Lane, Demetrius Gore. The class that I came in with was, I think, the number one recruiting class in America. And we went in there with a lot of high hopes. We beat Eastern Michigan in the first game. And then we lost in one of the most heartbreaking games that I've ever been a part of to Vanderbilt. I still remember it like it was yesterday. But Xavier would have been at Lincoln, Nebraska, playing and I believe that was Byron's last game he was a senior when I was a freshman that would have been 1987-88 yeah. yeah and Xavier would have lost maybe to Kansas I remember seeing them you know that was back when you you're watching the team play the night before day before and you're there 
and we're all kind of in it in it together. But uh, Byron and I have talked about it. I just have forgotten who Xavier played in that in that last game. Yeah. The Sean Miller Podcast is proud to partner with Payroll Partners, where you're not just a number. That means providing a best-in-class HR and payroll experience that was built on award-winning technology and live support customer service with a dedicated payroll specialist who's just a phone call away. You shouldn't have to choose between technology and customer service. At Payroll Partners, you get both. Payroll Partners is locally owned and operated by a proud Xavier alum. For more information or to request a free demo, visit payrollpartners.net. That's payrollpartners.net. When you look at, at the the transition that Xavier made from conference to conference to conference and where you were coaching Xavier in the Atlantic 10 and that game in that Elite Eight against UCLA and kind of where the program was and where it was ascending to, what do you remember about that game and and how the program got to that point? But then you, you run up against Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, and some of the legendary names on that team. Uh, what do you remember about that and, and where Xavier was at that time? Well, you're right. One of the most remarkable parts of our tradition is the continued excellence under different coaches, but also in different conferences. Yeah. You know, usually you, you maintain or, or achieve success in a particular conference and then you jump up and you do well, but never as well as you once did. That's not been the case for us. And the Atlantic 10 was a great litmus test because the coaches in that league at the time, you had UMass number one in America with Calipari, John Chaney, a Hall of Fame coach at Temple. You know, when we were together here at Xavier, Coach Mata and I, St. Jo Joe's was a one seed. If you remember, they had a perfect season. You know, Jameer Nelson and, and Delonte West, they were a terrific team. So, you know, to eventually become what I think what we did become is the class of the league. If we didn't win it, we were there every year, both in the tournament and also in the regular season. And then we would carry the mantle into March Madness and be a team from the Atlantic 10 that could show up in advance. And uh, we loved that about us. We loved the Atlantic 10. But I think that rise in the Atlantic 10 set the tone for the opportunity to become a Big East member. Uh, specifically, if you ask me about the UCLA game, I would say a number of things stand out about that. One, that I don't think any of us, including our own players, thought we could win once the game started. I mean, a minute into the game, you just had this feeling like, wow, this is different. And the talent level, the defense, the speed of their guards, I mean, Darren Collison and Russell Westbrook, uh, I think it, it, it shocked us. It took us, it took us back, knocked us back. And if you look at why I say that, well, you have two players, Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook, <laughs> that basically are Hall of Fame players on the same college team, right? Um, and Ben Howland is their coach. So that, that's one part. Yeah. And the other part is, you know, I was so young about do what we do, do what we do. I remember being upset with these guys at halftime. And if I had a do-over, I would not have been nearly as upset with them at halftime as I was then simply because we were outmatched. And what the message needed to be at halftime is be the best that we can be and enjoy being here. We've accomplished a lot. Um, but when the game ended, I think all of us really understood that getting to a Final Four was possible. And if you think about it, the following year, 
we got back to the Sweet 16, lost a heartbreaking game to Pitt, who was the number one seed in the tournament at the time, and were, was really this close to playing Villanova in back-to-back Elite Eights. And I think when you think about that period of time, and then the following year I left and Coach Mack took over, that they went to the Sweet 16 and lost a multi-overtime game to Kansas State, that for three seasons, as an Atlantic 10 member, we went Elite Eight, lost to UCLA, Sweet 16, lost to a one-seed pit, and then went the following year, double overtime in the Sweet 16 to Kansas State. That's about as close as you're going to come to not getting there as a program can because you were able to do it in multi-years, back-to-back-to-back, and that's very difficult to do. I have two distinct memories of the, those back-to-back years. UCLA, I was driving home. It was Easter break. Uh, we didn't get to watch the game until the very end, and by that time it was pretty much already decided. I think I got home with probably eight or nine minutes left driving from Cincinnati back to Virginia where I'm from. And then the pit game the next year, we were on the plane. We were on the tarmac with about a, a minute to go, two minutes to go, and then the signal, we, we took off. The signal took off. I had no idea what happened. We landed, and my dad goes, sorry. They, they, <laughs> they lost. <laughs> Didn't pull it off. Paulie you know, the, the heartbreak of losing that tough battle in the tournament is something that really remains with you because you know how close you were. But it's also equally rewarding and thrilling in a positive sense because you also know how good of a team you became in the fight and how hard it is to get there and what that group of, of players will always remember. Because the one thing about college basketball players, they're always going to talk about their experience in the NCAA tournament. They may forget a lot of things. They will never forget that, good or bad. The Sean Miller Podcast is brought to you by Deer Park Roofing, and their company motto is protect what's important. Deer Park is not just another storm-chasing roofing company. They're invested in your community and truly care about the people in it. You can trust them to do the job right. Deer Park has highly trained professional technicians who make sure your residential or commercial roofing system is installed correctly and quickly. For a free estimate, visit DeerParkRoofing.com today. That's DeerParkRoofing.com. Coach, one of the most important things that, that falls under your job description is you have to lead a locker room full of 18 to 22 year old young men. And I'm fascinated by what, you know, maybe earlier in your career, maybe now, what's it like to stand in front of those guys and they're all looking at you for direction? You have to find a way to get the most out of them individually as a team and all those eyeballs are looking at you. What, what was that like early on and, and what's it like now? So Jeff Van Gundy, who's a great friend of mine and somebody that I really admire as a coach and as a person, he told me advice that he received as a young coach with the New York Knicks when he was an assistant coach for Pat Riley. And if you know Jeff, his stature, he's not a big man. Uh, He played basketball, but not at a high level. And here he is going to coach Latrell Sprewell and Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason and John Starks and Patrick Ewing. And his question to Pat Riley, and I think it's a fair question, you know, how do I get these unbelievable players, how do I get their respect when I didn't play in the NBA? Maybe I, I played junior college and, you know, I'm five foot ten. You know, I'm, I don't look like them. And Pat Riley said this, Jeff passed this on to me. 
I try to pass it on to the people that I work with because it's the best advice you can receive as a coach, in my opinion. And that is players understand three things. How hard you work. They will sniff out a coach who acts like he works hard and he really doesn't. Are you competent with your craft? If you're 80%, like 80% of it, you know, but that 20%, like they ask you about a set play and you don't know the play as the coach, you'll never get their respect. You could be right nine out of 10 times when it comes to your craft, but if you're wrong, they'll hold on to the wrong. And just like from a work ethic perspective, it's not what you think you're a hard worker, it's what they think. So you have to have a great work ethic you truly have to know your stuff. They respect it. And you cannot lie to them. If you tell 900 consecutive truths on 901, you tell them something that isn't true, they only remember 901, right? So I think if you're very honest, and you're very hardworking, and you're a master at your craft, right? You know, in other words, you take what you do very seriously. You're detailed. You dot your I's. You cross your T's. You know your stuff. They can count on you to help them, teach them. They're a willing learner if you're a good teacher. If you have those three things, it doesn't matter where you're from, how tall you are, or your background. You can earn the best players in the world's respect. And I have found that to be true. So whether it's me this time around at Xavier or, or the last time, you know, those three things still are always fresh on my mind, you know, that, that you, you work hard and you work hard for them. You know your stuff. You know, you have the ability to give them an answer to a question that's accurate and helpful and that you tell them the truth. And by the way, the truth won't always make them feel good, but they know what you're saying is truthful. And I, I think that's a great way of, of leading a group of younger people. They certainly understand those three things. And the other thing, Adam, is I think they all really want those three things. They want a coach that embodies, a staff that embodies those three qualities. Has your leadership style or the way you coach your teams changed in the transfer portal era where players are more apt to want to leave after one year if maybe they don't like your philosophy or your style, or is it – do what we do, and if you don't like what I'm doing, then maybe this just isn't for you. The door. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we all adapt to, to the changes, you know, in our world, how we communicate, the words that we say, you know, the importance of, of treating everybody with great respect. But there's always going to be choices that a young person can make. And if they make that choice to go somewhere else, we want to help them. We want to wish them good luck, but we also have the opportunity to bring in people that fit who we are too. So I think that anybody that is cautious because of the transfer portal or something that's in place today that wasn't a five years ago, I, I don't know if, if you can be the most successful you can be because again, it falls back to your initial question with me. And that is like, what's the most important thing when you become a head coach? You have to be yourself. And the second that you're not truly yourself, I think I think a player has like an intuition where they can feel that. Yeah. Coach, I'll be honest, I don't have any more questions for you. I found this fascinating. But I do feel like I glossed over something that uh that I need to just point out again. Yeah. I'm 
I've gotten to know you pretty well over the past year, and I've seen this version of Sean, and I've also seen the version on the floor, and I, I can't find myself to understand how someone thought that you were too nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think there'd be a lot of people that would agree with you, including my wife, I think, yeah. No, no, but, you know, sometimes, you know, in sports, it's just, and, and I will tell you this, that my dad taught me really, really well and, you know, I, I try to teach players this, my own kids this. You can be two types of people. You could be very respectful, well-mannered, and nice outside of the basketball court. But on that court, in the locker room, man, this is kill or be killed, you know. And, and I, I don't truly mean kill or be killed. But the competitive fire, like, nice guys just don't win there. It's just in – when you look at the greatest in any game, Tom Brady probably can make anybody laugh away from the football field. Ditto for Peyton Manning. I mean, he's so fun to listen to. But if you were Peyton Man Manning's teammate or you were competing against him or you were in a weight room with him or you were like down 10 points with a minute to go or, I'm sorry, at halftime or entering the fourth quarter, there wasn't anything nice about him. You know, you have to be able to rise to the challenge. And, you know, rising to the challenge is, you know, you rise to your preparation. And, okay, so how do you prepare? Well, you have to take it serious. Like, it has to be something. I mean, you have to be willing to compete and, and fight, fight to win. And, and, again, not fist fight or punch somebody, but give everything that you have from a competitive fire, competitive spirit level so that you know when it all ends, I did everything that I can. And, you know, that lesson to a player, to a team, to a young person, you know, in all that we do, it's, we're in a highly competitive environment. It's either did you win, did you lose. You know, sometimes I refer to it as the scoreboard life. You know, how do you know how you did? Just look up there. It tells everything, right? But we all know that you could play really well, play with amazing effort and not win the game. And then that's okay, you move to the next game. But the nice, being nice, to your question, it's like, I'll take that as a compliment because that's the only way you can survive, I believe, at the highest level of sport. I, I meant that as a compliment. That's a right <laughs> joke. Yeah, because I think getting to know you is like, we're having this conversation up here and you are, you are very nice, mm -hmm. but I've seen you in a practice or I watch you coach in a game and there's this there's the there's another side and mm -hmm. as you just said like that side has to be there if you want to do this well if you want to have any success if you want those guys that you're asking to give everything they have if you want them to respect you you have to have that other side so yeah it was a compliment thank you <laughs> well i mean even think back to that episode we did with john a couple of weeks ago where you're saying hey, you know they're John, there you go. That stereotype again. Doesn't laugh, doesn't smile. I mean, yeah. you, look, when, when I was presented with this and uh, I was told that Sean Miller wanted to do a podcast, I said, Sean Miller's doing a podcast? And now look Here at this. Here I am. Yeah. Yeah. You're killing it. Here I am. Yeah. Well, I'm enjoying doing it from the perspective of I believe that our tradition of excellence at Xavier is very understated. I love the game of college basketball. And I also have learned over time that you have to mix in some joy and fun in this because if not, I mean, why make it miserable? You know, it's, it's tough enough to try to win games and prepare, 
but I do think that the relationships you build over these years, the moments you have, the players that you can impact, the, the, the things that you can learn from your players. Like, I'll give you one great example. To this day, I learned a lot coaching David West. I was not the head coach for David West. I was an assistant coach, but I admired David because David West is not a great athlete when it comes to run fast, jump high, quick, left, right. He is a great athlete when it comes to amazing hands, great size, but what his greatest gift, in my opinion, was as a player, both in the NBA and also in colleges, his mind. And if you judge David on a daily basis, I have coached better practice players. I have watched young people in practice go more consistently hard, effort, win or lose, compete, more than I would say David would do as a college player. But he had like this, almost like a trigger inside of him that he knew when it was time to take his level up. It's almost like he paced himself in a positive way so that when the moment was its biggest, he was, he was incredibly ready. So when you coach a guy like David West, you can't treat everybody the same. He is your best player. He is your franchise. He shows up in the biggest moments on your schedule every time. He rises to challenges that you're like, wow, I didn't even know he had that in him. But he had his way of doing it. And to be patient and sometimes kind of let him go through that process is something that, that I learned. Like, you can't just treat everybody the same. It's like putting a square peg in a round hole. What brings out the best in David West is him, him knowing that you understand him and that you know that when the lights come on and they're the brightest they can be, he will be at his best. It's almost like just make sure everybody else is going to be like that around them. <laughs> yeah. So you learn so many lessons from your players that how you talk to David, you kind of let him go a little bit, and you watch him knowing that on that very, very moment, the big stage comes, he's going to be ready. That's a given. So uh, can't treat everybody the same, and that would be a great reason why right there. Adam, anything else? No, I, I think we covered everything. This was fascinating. Sean, how do you like the logo? I like it. In yeah, fact, there's an SM basketball. I mean, you, I can't complain. And we yeah. got one on the way for you. I got, I'll bring it to <laughs> you. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Sean, thanks. This has been great. Appreciate it. Awesome. Great, great talking to you guys. Look forward to the next episode. Appreciate it. Thanks to everybody for subscribing, for following along, whether it's on uh, I guess it's x.com now, not Twitter, but Instagram, uh, all the social medias, Facebook, TikTok, all those places, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, download, share with everybody. Uh, by the time this comes out, the season will already be underway. Uh, so best of luck with everything as you get going here in the next uh, few days. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Sean Miller Podcast. This has been the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing, with your hosts, Paul Fritschner and Adam Baum. Join us again soon for another episode with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller.